It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Welcome back to another special edition of Miked Up on OM Radio. This is your daily COVID-19 news update for Low Country listeners. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. Today's date, it's Thursday, April 16th. Timestamp, it's currently 6.06 a.m. Today's show is going to have a specific focus. I'm going to hone in on the African-American community and how it's impacted by COVID-19. But before I get into that, I'm going to give you an update from DHEC. Take a listen to these numbers. First, we want to head to breaking news. The death toll from COVID-19 in South Carolina has surpassed 100. We're now at 107 total deaths and more than 3,600 total cases. 105 of those cases in just the last day. Seven of them from Charleston County, three of them from Berkeley County, and five of them from Dorchester County. When I tell you guys that I woke up with a completely different show, (laughs) this is a grassroots effort. This is all just bootstrapped and pulled together. And and sometimes I have to make quick changes on the fly. Um, I I woke up this morning um, with more of an economic focus and a really local focus um, for the show. However, reading um, the the news, reading the front page of the Post and Courier, which features a story about how African-American communities here in the state are disproportionately um, impacted by the coronavirus. And not only that, right, this week I've had several conversations with local leaders, academics, and um, you know, you name them. Uh, and they were, uh, they mentioned a local news anchor, Ann McGill, she hosted two uh, Facebook town halls that specifically sp- spoke to the African-American community. She engaged so many um, high-profile members of the community here in South Carolina, doctors, elected officials, uh, major nonprofit leaders. And so basically what I'm telling you is that I've been um, visited upon by all of this news regarding African-Americans and how they're being impacted. And I know I mentioned this already in a previous update show, but it's just, I guess it's just something my intuition is telling me to continue continue to to, to um, disseminate this information help bust myths and, and and bring you voices perhaps voices you haven't heard from before so um, I just felt like I needed to explain that as I continue to give you an update but I do also want to um, continue on with pertinent news that's for everyone um, check out this clip from Roper. This is some good news, y'all. Like I, I, again, I've mentioned on previous update shows, there is so much innovation, so much uh, advancements, so many advancements rather, being made by our local healthcare team, professionals. Um, I'm, I'm just really proud to live in South Carolina. People are really um, are making a concerted effort to create solutions that will help us get through this pandemic. So take a listen to this clip uh, from Roper Hospital, from the news rather. Brendan, Low Country hospitals are preparing for what they're calling the peak of COVID-19 cases. That's expected to happen in the next few weeks. And Roper Hospital behind me says that starting today, they're able to test for the virus in under an hour. Instead of, instead of coming into the emergency room and being told to get tested and then, you know, you're quarantined for 14 days or te- test results come back, uh, now you can actually walk out and, and know uh, what you have and what you need to do and uh, whether or not you actually have COVID. Roper Hospital Dr. Robert Oliverio says while this test that gets results back in just 45 minutes will be an asset to the hospital, 
It's just part of what needs to be done before we see another surge in cases. We're still planning for a, uh, an increase in cases over time. Um, hopefully what we're seeing is a slowing of the, the rate of increase so that you know, as people were talking about how the surge is going to come on or how um, uh, patients are going to get sick really quickly and then overrun capacity, uh, our hope is that's not going to be the case. Across the street at MUSC, they're doing research on when the crisis will be at its worst. I thought that was a bit of uh, just inspired news. Hopefully it gives people, um, you know, a little hope, you know, um, as we continue to manage this crisis. I know, um, given the research I've done prior to today's update show, a lot of folks are clamoring for businesses to resume. Lawmakers in the upstate have made appeals, public appeals uh, to the governor. And we've, we've heard our governor even uh, um, demonstrate a little bit of reluctance when it comes to closing down the state or closing the quote unquote economy. Um, but it's great to hear that the, the healthcare professionals, the scientists, the uh, medical professionals are coming up with solutions that'll help us resume, um, you know, daily activity. It, it might not be as quick as we, we'd hoped it be, but, um, this is some, some good news, but, um, I hope we find that balance where folks, I know businesses are struggling, but you know, we just passed the 100 death threshold today. So, um, you know, the, the numbers for our state are trending upward. So that means that we have a problem with containment. So I, I hope that folks continue um, to support uh, those on the front line, those who are trying to study the problem like MUSC, like Roper. Um, yeah. So that's my little spiel on that. Um, I want to give you an update. A uh, shout out to Vicki from Ohm. Vicki, uh, she hit me up yesterday uh, and she wanted me to pass on some information for local uh, Charleston people who live in Charleston. So uh, the city of Charleston, uh, they sent out, I guess, a notice regarding uh, it looks like pedestrian crossings and also garbage pickup. So I'm going to read from the notice. Uh, the city of Charleston Public Service Department announced that it will no longer pick up garbage, cardboard, or any other items not inside of the green garbage carts. So if you've been leaving your garbage on the curb, um, you know, uh, in a fashion that was uh, prior prior to our COVID-19 status, uh, you're going to have to change that back and make sure that all of your trash items are inside the receptacle. Uh, another update from the city of Charleston, uh, they've installed automated pedestrian crossing signals so you don't have to touch the the, lamp, the light post uh, when you're trying to cross the street in Charleston. So this is to help you um, continue to practice not just social distancing, but um, it's a touch free option that will help us not uh, cross contaminate or, or, you know, just touch things and share germs and whatnot. So thank you, Vicky, for that update. Remember, don't touch that button. I always thought that button was like you know, like a hoax anyway. I hate to use that word because people have made that a pejorative. But like, uh, yeah, I always thought that button really didn't work. <laughs> so now you have even more of a reason not to touch it. All right. Um, I'm going to transition now to uh, some other news. I just want to, I guess, give voice to because I'm not going to include a clip, um, much like the two clips you heard from WCBD News 2. I'm not going to include a clip. I just want you to know that for future shows, I do plan on returning to giving you an update regarding the stimulus uh, funds for local businesses. Um, it's reported in the Post and Courier. I'm going to flip to the Post and Courier right now and just read at least a portion. So, yeah, this was reported on the 14th by Andrew Brown. Uh, it says uh, small 
South Carolina small businesses and other employers approved for $2.7 billion in emergency loans. So I want to continue to um, talk about that and uh, help folks understand what resources are available. We do know um, it's been reported nationally that that paycheck protection money that folks ran to apply to apply for online, those funds are probably depleted by the time you hear this update show. So I know folks are looking for guidance and I um, hopefully I'll engage a voice from Low Country Local First about what businesses need to do, how they need to prepare and get access to the money that just hit our state. So I'm tracking that story. Um, Also tracking. Let me see. Nope, that's it economically. Now I want to go ahead and make that pivot, that hard turn uh, to uh, African-American communities who are currently being uh, impacted by COVID-19. Uh, Again, y'all bear with me. This show just flipped on its head this morning. Um, But I found this interesting clip. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, local voices have begun to emerge and they've been making news. Uh, There was a doctor that I just found out about and um, shout out to Dr. Ebony Hilton. She's a South Carolina native. Uh, She actually was featured on Brian Williams uh, MSNBC show, The 11th Hour, last week on uh, April 10th. So here's a clip from that show featuring the voice of Dr. Uh, Ebony Hilton. She's an anesthesiologist. Uh, She's at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. So take a listen. New numbers from New York City show the coronavirus killing black and Latino Americans at twice the rate of whites. These are preliminary stats. Mayor de Blasio says they don't include the hundreds who have died at home. But it's enough to paint a disturbing picture of racial disparity, especially when you look at New Orleans, Chicago, and other urban areas. With us tonight, Dr. Ebony Hilton, an associate professor of anesthesiology at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. She also happens to co-host the podcast, The B Word Unpacked. Doctor, thank you very much for coming on with us. And without any delay, please tell our audience what the three W's are. Right. So the three W's classify what I call the healthcare privilege, which are white, wealthy, and wombless, which typically are men. Those three classes of people tend to have better outcomes across the board. I talk about uh, three other things, the unholy medical uh, trinity that is responsible for so much of the underlying disease in the African-American community. I've been kind of amazed at the number of people who seem to be hearing this this week for the first time, heart disease, hypertension, diabetes. Talk a little bit about that and this staggering death toll percentage among African-Americans. I left out uh, Detroit. We're, of course, seeing it there, too. All right. I mean, for me, you can't talk about these health disparities as far as hypertension, diabetes, um, without speaking about the systemic racism that influences each one of those disease processes. You can't talk about obesity and, and diabetes without talking about food deserts that exist within the black and brown communities. You can't talk about even chronic illnesses like asthma and chronic bronchitis without talking about environmental racism and the Um, industries that are placed in certain zip codes and not others. And so there's a targeting of the black and brown um, communities as well as lower socioeconomic status um, communities in which we are tend to have these negative factors literally placed at our doorstep. 
It's great to hear local voices emerge and uh, make their way to national platforms like uh, MSNBC. So again, shout out to Dr. Ebony Hilton. I look forward to hearing more from her. And um, if you can go to Facebook, uh, check out local news anchor at Live 5 News, our CBS affiliate based here in Charleston, and McGill's page. She has at least two town halls, I believe, already recorded featuring Dr. Ebony Hilton and um, the likes of Marlon Kempson and other area political leaders and nonprofit leaders who um, give you a better perspective on this issue. Um, a very nuanced discussion taking place on Facebook Live. So shout out to Ann McGill as well. Um, okay, I, I want to continue on, and again, presenting voices, uh, people really breaking through and making it onto uh, national platforms. But, you know, Tim Scott, I already featured him this week. Um, he's, of course, going to get a microphone um, at major news outlets. But I was happy to see yesterday, or rather, I was happy to hear yesterday um, that he made his way to NPR to talk about um, not just the African-American angle, but the poverty angle. And so take a listen to this clip um, from Tim Scott, where he outlines this issue and this this disparity. The global coronavirus pandemic is only exacerbating already deeply entrenched economic inequalities here in the U.S. Some of the communities hardest hit by the virus are also some of the poorest. These are communities with the least amount of access to health care. Many are also communities of color. So how can the government better serve these systemically vulnerable populations in its response to COVID-19? To help answer that question, we are joined by Republican South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. He is home, like so many of us, on the phone from Hanahan, South Carolina. Uh, Senator, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. It is already clear that African Americans are dying of COVID-19 at much higher rates than white Americans, what should the federal government be doing that it is not right now? Well, I think it's important for us to continue to do many of the things that we are doing. I spoke to Dr. Fauci about this issue about two weeks ago at this point, and uh, the, the same protocols that everyone is uh, working towards following the wearing masks now as a part of the protocols, the uh, washing hands, all, all the hygiene protocols are really important. However, in addition to that, I think it's important for us to have a specific and unique uh, campaign to communicate the importance of following the protocols within the African-American community. They have, I was a part of a faith uh, community call with the administration last Friday, talking to some of the major pastors around the country to disseminate more information into the community. Uh, as Dr. Burke said, the real challenge of the COVID-19 in the African-American community, it's not that African-Americans are predisposed at a higher rate for the COVID-19. It's the underlying morbidity that we have seen because of compromise of one's immune system or higher incidence in the African-American community, specifically high blood pressure and asthma. There's a disproportionate share of African-Americans with those uh, co comorbidities. And so we have to make sure that we are vigilant and providing information into the community because it will save lives. Okay, that was, again, Senator uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott speaking to uh, this issue of how African-American folk and poor folk are being disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Um, 
what again what initially inspired today's pivot today's show's uh, reorientation um, was the reporting uh, done here locally and so on the front page of today's uh, Post and Courier there's a story that was written by Fleming Smith and Ricky Syafa Dennis Jr. and I'm just going to read a little bit from that reporting and I'm I, I urge you all to please um, as I mentioned yesterday with Christian from Holy City Center um, you know, we, we talked about the importance of, of uh, supporting local media. Um, and this story is evidence of how we need to support uh, these reporters who are focusing in on marginalized communities and shedding light on topics that don't typically, you know, get that much attention. So or garner that much attention. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, African-Americans, especially men, are disproportionately contracting and dying of the coronavirus for many in the black community. That's no surprise. It's a result of long-term inequalities in the healthcare system that produce underlying health conditions, putting them more risk, more at risk, as well as socioeconomic barriers that make them more likely to be in service sector jobs that increase their exposure to the disease. Um, And you heard um, Senator Tim Scott speak to that as well. The socioeconomic issues, uh, those low wage uh, public sector jobs. Um, You've even heard my father on this podcast on an update um, on his way to work. My father is a man of a certain age. And yet, you know, someone who's very prideful and and has uh, placed so much importance on working every day. Um, And, you know, he's out there. He's in he's on the front lines um, at a at a retailer. And so. You know, community members, members of my community, uh, my Gullah Geechee or African-American community will be impacted because of these factors. Another factor um, I wanted to stress was the amount of misinformation. I hate the term fake news. I think that it's been turned into something, you know, really, really unsightly discussed. And if I if I can be a little candid. I hate the term fake news, but there is so much propaganda. There's so much um, disinformation, misinformation um, coming into the African-American community. I'm not going to even <laughs> I'm not even going to dignify the conspiracy theories specifically, but take a listen to this clip. I interviewed my friend who is a registered nurse, Tamisha Hardy. She's a registered nurse in the Philadelphia metro area. So she's at a prominent hospital and um, she's she has her master's in, um, in nursing as well. And, and she and I spoke very briefly and we were laughing. We weren't laughing at the, the issue. The issue is very serious, but we were laughing at some of the absurd um, rumors and conspiracies that we've heard in our communities, um, you know, both here and down here and where she where she currently resides. So just take a listen to this brief snippet from a previous mic'd up episode featuring Tamika Hardy. Let's go. I said Tamika <laughs> featuring my friend Tamisha Hardy, uh, RN MSN. Okay. So another, another myth is this is man-made. Um, Trump made this in a lab. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what they do, <laughs> what they do know about the virus is that it was like first identified in China. Um, I don't know who <laughs> these people would be. No, men. I know. Look, look, look. I ain't trying to make you debunk <laughs> every little thing. But you, you, you feel confident. You feel confident it's not man-made. <laughs> I feel very confident it is not man-made. So COVID-19 is actually a strain of the coronavirus. The coronavirus is a strain that has, it's, 
It is a disease that has been known about for a long time. Um, most often it causes a common cold. Um, and that's why, and people have this conspiracy theory, that's why if you read a can of Lysol, it does say that it protects against the coronavirus because the coronavirus has been known about. It's just this particular strain of COVID-19 that hasn't been known about. So that's why I don't believe that it was man-made. Right. And I think- Things I think... evolve all the time and, you know, and different strains are, you know, they're they're just created or it may have even been out there for a long time and it just hadn't been discovered or um yeah i think even like um they say you know some some things jump from animals to humans and uh, yeah, which is uh one of the theories right of how this disease came about okay well that was good i'm glad you um you know laughed that off <laughs> i just think it's it's interesting folks is just want to arrive at a conclusion so fast mm -hmm. and it's like we don't even know um what what's going on um so how are you um shout out to my friend tamisha she's a, an amazing healthcare professional and she's always updating folks from her social media feeds much like so many other um, folks on the front lines that we've seen um, or heard from on podcast or on the nightly news. So um, thank thank you all for rocking with me today. Today's show, again, um, had to make some edits on the fly. I appreciate you bearing with me and supporting this show. Check out the show notes for any additional information, things I couldn't get to. Until next time, y'all, stay healthy, stay home if you can, help flatten that curve. And y'all, my Gullah Geechee folk, y'all stay black. <laughs>